0: Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to that place this morning. Let's pray as we open God's Word together today. Father God, it is true. It is difficult for us to even understand the depth of your love, the power of your love, the truth and reality of your love, and the impact that it has on us. God, you are so good, and your love is so amazing. It is everything that we need, and God, we really, really need it. It is good, it is true, it is perfect, it is enough. Father God, help us to live in your love. Help us to share your love. Your love is endless, there is no limit. So it is enough to share. And we pray that it would be real in our lives. Father God, as we turn to your word this morning, we pray that we would experience your love in these pages, in these words. We pray that we would experience more of who you are, that we can follow you more closely and love you more deeply and share you more freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. see, the problem is, the chapter distinctions in the Bible can be pretty unhelpful. We've got all these breaks everywhere in these passages, these verse breaks and headings and little notes and comments and numbers and footnotes, and it is all very helpful, and very valuable. It helps us find the same address when we're trying to talk about something together, a specific passage, really easily. That's good. But it cuts up the narrative. It can be a real distraction even. And over the years, I've tried to look for a published version of the Bible that doesn't have any marks or notations at all in it, any versions of the Bible that were free of these things. And I found a couple that are kind of okay, but it's not easy to find. They don't print them this way. And the ones that I did find were in unusual translations, things that I, you know, they're probably good, but they're not comfortable, familiar for me anyways. You can't find really like an NIV or an ESV or something that's just without any of these notes in it. But the ones that I do have, even if they're a little bit unfamiliar translations, it, it's an amazing way to experience Scripture as it was originally written. Because John and, and Paul and Moses and whoever else didn't break up their words like that. These were single books, single letters, unbroken, uninterrupted, and like, obviously, you know, they had sentences and paragraphs and things like that, but their thoughts streamed together a little bit more fully. And it was maybe easier to see how these stories connected, how the message that the Spirit was crafting worked together across different passages and ideas and stories. And it matters, I think. Because with the way our Bibles are broken up, we can miss the connections that we should be making that God wants us to see and how these stories flow into one another from one Sunday to another or one devotional time to another. We read this chapter and then the next chapter and then the next. And each story or passage can feel really self-contained within its own heading. And it's a couple of little paragraphs when really they're made to be feeding into one another and informing one another, and the narrative and the story and the thought process flows together. And I say all of this because today we're coming to John chapter 9. The story of the man born blind that Jesus heals. And if we aren't paying attention to what just happened, we can miss the depth of what's going on. Turn with me this morning to John chapter 9. We're going to read a portion of this chapter together, but we're going to back up just three verses to see how this passage ties in to the end of chapter 8 to see just how crazy the world that Jesus is working in really was. Because John chapter 9 verse 1 starts, as he went along, he saw a man born blind from birth. And when we read this devotionally, or again, one chapter a day or whatever, we just start there. Jesus is, as He's going along, He runs into this man. But as He was going along, from where? John chapter 8, verse 57. He's having this huge fight, huge argument with the Pharisees for two chapters, 7 and 8. And it ends with this, you are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from them from the temple grounds. That is what just happened. Jesus just claimed to be God himself. As we said last week, perhaps the most important thing that any person has ever said in the history of humanity, if he was telling the truth. And they were about to kill him on the spot. And somehow Jesus slips away. That's another detail right there. Just how huge and heavy this crowd must have been. So many of the pictures and paintings we see of Jesus teaching or talking with the Pharisees. It's kind of him and maybe a couple of guys standing with a few people standing around. Probably because it takes a long time to paint people, right? So it's just easier to paint just a few of them. But it throws off what's happening here when we have those pictures in our mind. Because you can't slip away in a crowd like that. And it shows us just how big of a deal Jesus was at this time. The kind of ministry he was doing and the crushing crowds that were following him everywhere. Jesus is not escaping into a few people several times In the stories, Jesus slips away from them and it shows again just how massive these crowds are. They were about to kill him on the spot and he slips away. How? These people were everywhere. What he was doing was changing their lives. And then, as he went along... He saw a man blind from birth. Now, it is not clear just how quickly this is happening. If, is it right as he's leaving the temple? This guy is just right outside there? Given other historical context that we have around the, the, the festivals that were happening at the time, and the timing of some of the other parts of these passages, not a lot of time has passed. It's very, very close. Maybe within a few hours even. But it seems like things have calmed down at least a little bit. Because of the way that Jesus' disciples kind of respond to him and the way they ask their questions here. But given how close this must be, how recently they picked up stones to kill him on the spot, right where he stood. The rest of this story makes no sense from the perspective of the Pharisees and their interaction that Jesus has with them right now. But turn with me now to John chapter 9. We're going to read some of this story together here this morning. It says this, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with a saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was. Others said, no, no, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I, I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes was a Sabbath. Here we go again. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. And they turned again to the blind man. What have you you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been born blind, give glory to God by telling the truth, they said, we know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Amen. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. What a powerful story. Our God is incredible. He has the power to heal To transform, to change lives, to redeem and restore and to help us see. And again, we see the Pharisees having the exact same problem. Asking the exact same questions. Who does Jesus think he is? Where does he think he gets the authority to do these things? Why does he think he can change or overrule the law or at least Their interpretation of it. For the last three weeks, we've seen this exact same story play out all the way back to chapter 5. Over and over and over again, the Pharisees have the same problem, the same challenge, the same question. And they just seem unable to come to terms with who Jesus is and what he's doing. No matter what they see and hear. And this is not even a more extreme example. It is dramatic. No question. They're not just debating theology and philosophy and legalese here. A man standing before them who was blind from birth and now he can see. And they can't explain it so they have to destroy it. But just in chapter 5. Jesus performed a similar miracle at the pool of Bethesda with the man who was lame for 38 years and Jesus heals him and he picks up his mat and walks and as that was on the Sabbath, somehow that was the issue the Pharisees had there too. It's so sad. It's so broken. It's so small. To restrict and limit God down to a tiny religious box like that. That kind of Fear and need for control. Again, fortunately, we don't struggle in those ways anymore. But they certainly did. And it drove them crazy to see Jesus doing these things. So this isn't even new. Again, it's the Sabbath. Again, Jesus heals the man. And again, their issue is that Jesus is doing these things when he's not supposed to. No miracles on the Lord's day. All the very power and presence of God is being revealed right in front of their faces. This at the same time is one of the funniest stories in the Bible because this man who is healed is absolutely hilarious. He is so sarcastic and he drives the Pharisees absolutely nuts. It's fantastic. But it begins with this huge question, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And it ties into just how deeply we want there to be a cause or a reason for something bad that happens in our lives. Of course, there are natural consequences to sin. In many cases, lying or stealing or selfishness that hurts and breaks relationship causes real problems real consequences. But it's so easy for us to want to associate all bad things with there being a direct reason for them. We want straight lines. This happened because I or someone else did something bad. There must be sin in your life for this bad thing to be happening. And That idea was deeply ingrained in in Jewish culture. Sin caused sickness. That was just something they understood, something they believed. And it was maybe even a way to justify leaving them alone or not helping them as much as they could because this person deserved it somehow. It's such a fatalistic, karma-based idea. Pagan, magical thinking. It's not God. It's not kingdom vision. God allows these terrible things to happen because of the sin that broke the world. Our sin has made the world the way it's not supposed to be. But our lives are also much more complicated than just one plus one equals two. You sinned and so now something bad happens to you. Jesus, He reveals that God's view and understanding of these things is so much deeper, so much more complicated than ours. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. God is working in completely different ways than we understand. And He is accomplishing things we can't begin to conceive, His glory. His purpose, His kingdom, His gospel, His mission. He is king and He is at work and we can trust Him. But Jesus heals this man. He spits on the ground and He makes mud and He puts it on his eyes and He tells him to go wash in this pool. There's all kinds of significance here with the pool and the timing and the names of things. We don't have time to get in. I'll read it look it up it's really cool but he goes and he washes his eyes and he can see absolutely amazing and the people around him can't believe it as in they actually don't even believe it's him is this the same man who used to sit and beg no no it only looks like him and he's standing right there hey i can hear you i am him It was me. What? No. What? How then did this even happen? I don't know. He put some mud on my eyes and he told me to go wash and now I can see and they still don't believe it. So they want to talk to Jesus. Where is this man? I I don't know. I love it. It's hilarious. It's so real and raw and it just lines up so much with our culture. God is still working miracles today. He heals today and there are amazing, incredible testimonies and we just brush it off so easily. We want to explain it away. A very good friend of mine got an extremely serious cancer diagnosis a number of years ago. His doctor called him. He had a, had a checkup. For some other, you know, he had some issues with his liver, and he just wasn't sure. So he had regular checkups for these kinds of things, and all of a sudden, his doctor called him, voice actually shaking. "You have six months to live." Out of nowhere, my my friend had been feeling great, felt good. But the doctor was sure you don't make that call for nothing. We rallied around him and we prayed. So many people prayed. And over the next number of weeks and months, as they did more and more tests, all of a sudden they were planning treatment and they found actually the cancer was extremely mild. It treated very easily and he's cancer-free now. Was it a misdiagnosis? No. God healed him. It's so hard for us to see a miracle today because we just explain it away immediately. Maybe it never was even cancer. Maybe this isn't even the same man. Were you even actually blind? I am him. I am the man. I was blind and now I see. So they take him to the Pharisees and he explains it again to them too. He put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. And they say, this man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. Come on, guys. How many times are we going to go through this? It's the same thing again. Three chapters of this. Again and again they ask this man, what happened? Who did this? What do you say about him? And they bring in his parents. I love this. Is this your son? Was he really born blind? And they just deflect so much. They're so careful. Technically... That is our son. Technically, he was born blind. But as to what happened now, ask him. We don't know. So careful, so defensive. What would we know about it? He's a grown man. Leave us out of it. So the leaders summon the man again. Give glory to God by telling the truth. This was one of their most sacred and serious charges. To lay before someone. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. And he responds with this beautiful reply. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. It's beautiful. The power of our testimony. And the man, the power of what Jesus has done for you. And they keep going, okay, tell us again then, how did he do this? And the man responds so sarcastically this time, I've already told me, what do you want to become his disciples too? They freak out and they start hurling insults at them. And he pushes them even further. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of an opening of a man with the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they lose their minds. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus had heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard Jesus say this, and they asked, What, are we blind too? They just will not let this go, will they? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. Physical blindness and spiritual blindness. The story reminds us of the power and the necessity of our testimony. The power of the witness to the work and presence of God in your life. The power of the gospel to transform to renew, to change. And the power of our minds and our eyes to be closed to what God is doing if we want them to be. The Pharisees were not going to be convinced. The problem was not in their minds a lack of understanding. Despite their questions, their desire to debate and argue the law, they were not honestly pursuing truth. Just wanted to twist and contort themselves and the law to push Jesus away. They were blind in ways they didn't even understand. But this story shows us the power of God because it's not the power to convince or argue or debate, it is the power to transform, to change your life. I was blind, but now I see Him. We could not dismiss this man's testimony, what Jesus had done for him, and the power we have to share is the story of what He has done for you. Your testimony is the witness of the power of God in your life. The hope that He has brought you. The sin that He has freed you from. The life that He has given you. The sacrifice of Jesus and His blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And the life and the future that He has promised you. Eternity with Him. It's not the power to convince others. This man couldn't convince the Pharisees right before him. But it is the power to share the hope and love of Jesus in your own story. And it's up to the Spirit to change their hearts. But we need spiritual eyes. If we don't have spiritual eyes, we're not going to see what God is doing, even if it's right in front of us even if it's happening in our own life. This man was hungry. He was ready. Jesus didn't heal him instantly. He spit on the ground and made mud and put it on his eyes and told him to go wash. How far away was the pool? How far did he have to go? Why did he believe as Jesus was doing these things? Did he Start to doubt and feel foolish as he stumbled along trying to make his way there. Minute after minute, maybe hour after hour. I don't know. He trusted. He had faith. And God let him see physically because he was ready to see spiritually. believed he trusted he was hungry for God to work in his life and so he was ready when God called him do you see what God is doing in your life where he is how he is present what he is inviting you into What is your story, your testimony? What has God done for you? How has He saved you? How has He healed you? What has He given you? The Pharisees were right there too and they couldn't see it. God was doing this in their presence, in their lives as well. And they couldn't see it. What is God doing in your life? Inviting you into he might not free you from every earthly ill, but He is inviting us into abundant life with Him beyond anything we can imagine. Sometimes we can think our own testimony is maybe too boring. This man's story is so dramatic. He, from birth, he was blind, and now he can see And in our own lives, we can be surrounded by dramatic stories. We go to conferences or have incredible speakers sharing stories of severe addiction or abuse or violence or incredible things that God has freed them out of, incredible suffering or even harm that they caused to others that God has released them from and forgiven them for. And Jesus transforms their life and He frees them and makes their whole. And if that's not our story, we can feel less. My story is too boring for God to use.